Well, good morning again. Uh, it is uh, good to be back. Um, thanks to Stephen for filling in today. Did a good job, didn't he? Stephen is a recent college graduate as of yesterday, right? So doesn't he look smarter? <laughs> Excited. Uh, Jeffrey's on vacation this week, and we'll actually walk across the stage for his seminary degree next uh, this coming Saturday, and so we're proud of him and glad that he got a chance to go and complete that part of his life. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Judges chapter 7. Um, I want you to know that uh, I got the opportunity. Uh, one of the things that God has blessed Connection Church with is some great partnerships with churches that have allowed us to get started and get on our feet and financially supported us and, and uh, sent mission teams and all the things that we have benefited from. And so last weekend, that's where I was and got to speak in a church and uh, actually a church that I served on staff at several years ago. And, uh, but I want you to know that the whole time I was in Texas, I really wanted to be here, so uh, it's really kind of uh, it's kind of cool how South Dakota grows on you. I have no desire to be stuck in a traffic jam in downtown Dallas, so and I got to do that, and that's not something I would wish on my enemy. But uh, anyway, today I want us to talk about ridiculous. So as I was on my trip, I actually had another sermon plan for this Sunday, and the whole time that that I'm away uh, from here. God just kind of was able to clear my mind and I was able to think about what's going on here and all the things that God has done. And this, this word just kept coming back to me about how ridiculous it is for us to think that uh, we could do anything on our own. In fact, my, my mind kept going back to this scripture that I just want, you don't have to turn there, but I just want to read to you this scripture from John chapter 15. Listen, it says, I am the vine and my father is the, is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the world that I've, the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. As I reflected on actually missing you guys and uh, being in, in my church here uh, with, with my church family, uh, God just said, you know, it's all about me. It's not about you. It's not about a movement in Spearfish or in the Black Hills, but it's about the glory of an amazing God. And the way that God has, has blessed our church and that, you know, we, we're not very old and, and God has already given us people who love Jesus and we're seeing lives transformed by the power of God, the gospel. To think that we could do that on our own is just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous to think that a human could create this environment. And so we're just blessed. And so I want you this morning just to begin to think about the awesome God that we serve. What, what God is doing here is amazing. If you looked up ridiculous in the dictionary, it says that ridiculous is, to, is something absurd, it's preposterous, and even laughable. When we begin to think about taking the gospel to our city, when we begin to think about loving people who are lonely and in need of God's grace, when we begin to think about creating a church that is not about serving ourselves, but about serving other people, 
When we think about a church that's not trying to be perfect, but being honest about where we are and knowing that Jesus is our only hope, that just sounds ridiculous to me apart from Christ. Trying to do it on our own. You see, because God is in the business of doing what seems ridiculous to the world. There's a man in England named George Mueller who founded several orphanages um, several hundred years ago. And uh, he was a man who is known, who was known to be a na- man of prayer. He was known to be a man who believed so much in the power of God that he trusted in nothing else. He was not perfect, but God did some amazing things. Because one of the amazing things about his orphanages is that he never asked for money. He never went out to raise money, but he was able to fund uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of children who came through that uh, home. One evening, he tells the story about running out of food. And they ate dinner that night, and that's all the food that they had in the house. And they didn't know what they were going to do the next day. And, and the, the attendants who were working with him asked him, so what are we going to do? He said, we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to provide and God will. And he, with a very calm peace, went to bed that night and asked that God would provide. The next morning, a bread truck broke down in front of the orphanage and had to get rid of their bread. And a milk truck broke down just down the street and said, if I don't get this milk out, then it's going to spoil. And God provided in an amazing way. You see, because sometimes we think that we have to have the plan and we have to figure it out how it's all going to work. And God says, you know what? Just sit down, shut up, and I got it. I got it under control. And I can't tell you how many times in my life and in the life of what's happened here in Connection Church that I've said, God, but you, you just don't know. What, we we got to do this and we got to figure out how this is going to happen. And God has just said, Doug, sit down, shut up. I got this. What seems ridiculous to you is totally under control with me. You see, because God uses ridiculous circumstances to accomplish his will. I want you to look with me in Judges chapter 7, but I want to kind of set the the, uh, background for you in Judges chapter 6. There's a man named Gideon, and Gideon has been called to be the leader of God's people. If you look in verse 12, the story kind of begins, and we're not going to read the whole chapter of chapter 6, but I want to just kind of run through what happens here. So you can look along, uh, read along with me, beginning in verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? So they had been in battle, now they're in captive, but God is going to use Gideon in a mighty way. And, and, uh, so, and, 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 and so Gideon begins to ask, and we're all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go into this might of yours and save Israel because of the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. See, Gideon, he, he didn't come from the right place. He wasn't born into the right family, he wasn't from the right town, and in his mind, he was not usable in a mighty way. But I want you to know, if you look in the scripture, what God says is, you know what? You're right. 
You weren't born to the right family. You weren't born in the right place. You may not have what the world deems as skills, but what you do have is me. And what, he's, and what God says is that's really all you, can, all you need. That's all you need to accomplish uh, everything. God gave him a promise that we see throughout Scripture over and over again. He said, I will be with you. And so Gideon gets some instructions in, in the following verses, and he's essentially told to go in and tear down the false God's altars and so he, he does it, he actually does it in the middle of the night, and so it's kind of a cool picture of, of how God used him to tear down the, uh, the altars of the false gods. And, and so uh, he begins to picture in Gideon's mind that really God can use you, God can do mighty things. But, but Gideon's a man, and, and he's got faults. And so if you look in verse 36, many of you have probably heard this story. Gideon said that if you're going to use me, then I want you to give me a sign that is undeniable. Look in verse 36. So Gideon said to God, if you, have, if, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And if there is dew on the fleece alone and, and it is dry all around on the ground, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. And when he arose the next morning and squeezed the fleece, it wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then God said, Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test once more with the fleece. Let it be dry on the fleece only, and on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry and the fleece, uh, on the fleece only, and on the ground there was dew. And so Gideon is, I, want you, I, I read that because I want you to picture that Gideon is a man like us. He's, he's a human, okay? God told him to do something, and he said, okay, but I, want, I need a sign. And then God gave him a miraculous sign, and what did he do? Well, God, I really need a second sign. You know, I just, I just want to make sure that, that wasn't an accident, that it wasn't a fluke. I want to know for sure that you have called me. And God didn't, you know, you know, we kind of get this picture from the world that when God gets ticked off, he sends bolts of lightning down. Thank goodness he doesn't do that, or we'd probably all be dead, right? But with Gideon, he, he, he had patience, and he had grace. And he said, Gideon, I have called you, and even if you need two signs, I will give you two signs. And so I read all that as a precursor because what God is about to do through Gideon is an amazing thing. And the picture that I want you to see in Judges chapter 7 is what, what I want to spend some time on this morning. Look with me, beginning in verse 1. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him arose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north uh, of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many to give to the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now there were... The, now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. And so in Gideon's got his marching orders. Gideon's ready to go do what God's called him to do. But he says what sounds ridiculous in the world's eyes. He said, Now, Gideon, I'm going to send you into battle, but you got too many men. All right, now, here's honest. Never served in the military. 
Uh, we have great men and women who are serving our country. They know all about battle. They're well-trained. We should be proud of our troops and pray for them regularly. I don't know anything about battle, but I do know that more people is usually a good thing, right? So if you're going into battle, you don't want less. You want more. I mean, I've been on, a, I've been on the playground, and if you've got five friends, it's better than having no friends, all right? And so Gideon's getting ready to go into battle, and God says this weird thing. He says, you have too many men. But he says it for this reason. He said, I want the people of Israel to understand that if this happens the way it's going to go down, that there is no doubt that the hand of God was in it. And so he said, all right, verse 3, you tell the people, anybody who's scared, go on home. So he, so Gideon stands up and said, all right, no, no, uh, nobody's going to talk bad about you, which I don't believe that. But I mean, if, if you're scared, then head home. And 22,000 people packed up and went to the house. I mean, that's not a morale booster. I mean, I'm not a general of an army, but I'm thinking that's not a good thing. Okay, look, look in, in verse 22. Then 22,000 of the people return, re, returned home and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, verse 4, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, then you set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and and the number of those who lap, putting their hands uh, to their mouths, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lap, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go home, uh, go every man to his home. So the people took provisions into their hands and the trumpets, and he sent all the rest of the Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below them in the valley. So God says in verses 4 through 6, Divide them up again, and we're, we're going to make sure of who is supposed to be here. I'm gonna get, then, verses 7 through 9, God gives them a promise. He says, listen, I am going to give you this battle. So once again, God just, uh, he, he confirmed that he was in charge, that he was going to give them the battle, but then he divides them up in a weird way. Take them down to the, to the water and let them see who... who uh, who drinks the right way. Now, you know, if, if I was going to choose, if I only got 300, man, I'm doing like an obstacle course, you know, I want a sword fight or, or something, you know, ninja skills or whatever would bring about to know who has got the skills and who hasn't got the skills. But God said, listen, you got to trust me because what the world thinks is happening is ridiculous, but God is in complete control because he said, listen, I'm going to give you the valley. Look at the, the battle. Look at verse 9. And that same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given them into your hand. That's a promise. If you understand underline promises in your Bible, then that's a promise of God. Verse 10. But if you're afraid to go down, go to the camp 
with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands will be strengthened to go down against the camp. So they went down with, so he went down, Gideon went down with his servant to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amicalites and all the people uh, of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand is on the seashore in abundance. And when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. So God said, Listen, if you're scared... Then just go listen. And so they sneak up and they hear these guys talking and they're having bad dreams. They're having nightmares about God's people coming in and wiping them out. And they've gone from 32,000 men to 300. And so, so God is literally in control. Look at verse 15. And as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. And as he returned to the camp of Israel, he said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. In other words, God has already blessed us with this battle. Gideon is fired up. Morale is high. He is ready to roll. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside of them. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. And when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. And when I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me will blow the trumpets also on every side for the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And so God says, here's the plan. We're going to take the city. And what I want you to do is I want you to grab some some torches and some jars and a sword, and we're going to go take them. Now that to me sounds uh, a little bit without enough. I mean, I would want like cannons. I mean, in today's, we want machine guns and, you know, laser bombs and all that kind of stuff. But God said, listen, your plan uh, is not my plan. And although my plan may seem ridiculous, I want you to follow my instructions because God is about to give what is an amazing, an amazing uh, victory. Look at verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp and, be, and beginning in the middle of the watch they, when they had uh, just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. And then the three companies blew their trumpets and broke the jars and they held in their left hands the torches and the right hands their trumpets to blow and they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran and they cried out and fled. Now you got to understand that God is pretty smart, right? And what seemed ridiculous to take 32,000 down to 300 really makes perfect sense because what you need to understand is that when Gideon and his men had surrounded the city and they had the torches in the jars, what the armies in the middle did not know was that there were 300 men. What the armies in the middle, the Midianites and the Amicalites, thought was that each torch represented 100 men. You see, God was playing a game with them that day, right? He was tricking them. Because what he wanted to show to the nation of Israel was, I don't need 32,000 people to win a battle. 
He said, I can make them feel like they are surrounded by tens of thousands of people. And so when they broke those jars and they began to blow on those trumpets, the armies in the middle thought that they were surrounded by thousands of people. And God said, now watch, because what's about to happen is a miracle. Look at verse 22. And when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set on every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the armies fled as far as uh, Bethshida, uh, uh, towards Zerah, uh, as far as the border of Abelamagai. And if you don't like how I said that, then you can repronounce it. By Tabith. And as the men of Israel called out from Nephili and from Asher and from all Manasseh, they pursued after Midian. What God did was created mass confusion and the army began to kill themselves crazy i mean it just went nuts when the trumpets were blown and the and they thought that they were surrounded they thought that god's army was already in the camp they thought that chaos had already surrounded them and they just began to fight everybody who was around them and they ran away and and turned on themselves and killed each other you know what god's plan seemed ridiculous in the beginning can you imagine the conversation in the beginning when God said, hey, you got too many men. What I need you to do is to hone it down. And we sent 22,000 home. And he said, you know, that's, that's still too many. What you need to do is go and, and, and hone it down again. And now there's 300. And you, do, do you think those 300 men might have been a little bit nervous? Is this really going to work? Is God's plan really going to happen? Is it, is it really for us to be able to follow a God that, that wants to do things in what seems to be like a, a humanly ridiculous way? And yet when all is said and done, God wins the battle. Here's what I want you to see. Number one is this. God's ways are not your ways. Isaiah said this, Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to figure it out. Have you ever had a conversation with God and you just want to go, God, I don't think you understand the place that I'm in. I I don't think you understand the pressure I'm under. I don't think you understand the problems I'm facing. Listen. God understands. He knows. He knows where you are. He knows what's going on in your life. And his plan never fails. The second thing is this. God's plans rarely make sense to the world. Here's what I know of being a believer for most of my life and being in church life for over 20 years. When God asks us to do something wild and crazy that just doesn't make sense, I've learned to latch on to that. You know why? Because usually that's when God's going to show up in an incredible way. When when God told these people, hey, I want you to stand out and I want you to to, uh, hone down the army and I want you to scream and yell and blow the trumpets, they probably thought that's ridiculous. But you see, when God calls us to do something that seems ridiculous to the world, I believe that that's probably the best time to be on God's team. Because that's when you're going to see amazing things. The third thing is this that God's plans are always successful. God never fails. God, listen, you got to understand that God never leaves the sidelines going onto the playing field thinking, I hope this works out. God never goes on the playing field saying, man, I hope we practiced enough. 
God never goes onto the playing field saying, man, I hope we got enough people. I hope we got the right weapons. What God goes onto the playing field is with the mindset of victory because he does not know defeat. God is going to win. See, when you're on God's team, you'll never lose. How many of you guys remember ever being on the elementary school playground and they're picking teams? And you never wanted to be on the wrong team. And you never, of course, you never wanted to be last picked, okay? But you never wanted to be on the wrong team. You always wanted to be on the winning team. You always wanted to be on the team that was going to be best. In fact, I'll tell you, I've, I've, I've been around a couple sports teams uh, that, that have had bad attitudes. Before the game even started, I asked a kid one time, hey, you guys going to win tonight when you play? He said, ah, I hope so. What? You know, if I was a coach, I'd like, hit the, hit the bleachers, man. You need to run. You need to get your attitude in the right place. Because if you go onto the playing field thinking you're going to be defeated, guess what? It's very likely you're going to be defeated. God never leaves the sidelines without knowing that he is going to win the battle. And so what we can see in this passage, in, in the life of Gideon, in the life of Israel, in, in, in your personal life, in my life, in the life of our church, is that if we will believe and follow God, then we will be on the winning side. But it takes several things. Number one, it takes a trust in God. And, and, and I don't think it's, it's, it's bad to question God. You know, Gideon in chapter 6 throws a fleece out twice and asks God to give him a sign. And, and, and in that moment, God said, listen, I want you to trust me. And if that means you have to have a sign, then I'm going to give you a sign. Now listen to this. I don't think that God needs to give you 14 signs, okay? One may be good enough. In fact, the more that you walk with God, the more you'll know you can trust Him. The more that you walk with God, when God gives you instructions, you can ask for a sign, but more often than not, if you know that it's come from God, then you can trust Him. The longer that you live, the more that you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, the more you can know that you trust Him. The second thing is this, that you need to learn to obey God. When God asks you to do something, you need to be willing to change your plans to make His will happen. When, when God says, hey, we're going to hone down the army from 32,000 to 300, then I want you to be willing to do that. If I say, stand around with torches and jars and, and swords, and when I say, blow the trumpets, then blow the trumpets. Because when you obey God, even when it doesn't make sense, you're going to come out on top. The third thing is this, that you need to learn how to follow God. Wherever He leads you, you need to go. Man, God can take you to some strange places sometimes, but it's always His perfect will. Listen to what the Scripture says. He who trusts his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28, 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Psalm 53, 1 says, The fool is said in his heart that there is no God. Listen to what Paul wrote in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing in the world. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world 
to shame the strong. Man, when I read that, I think about me. I think, man, you know, I don't know everything about the Bible. I don't know everything about what it means to lead a church. I don't know everything about what it means to try to have a vision to reach a region for Christ. But what I do have is a calling from God. What I do have is God's vision for our church. And that is to love a city enough to sacrifice for them. You see, because God, listen to this, God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Can I be really honest with you? There are more days that I look in the mirror and feel like a fool than I feel like a wise person. And when I read this scripture, I realize that God uses the foolish things to do great things. See, when God calls you and I to do what seems ridiculous, God's ways are usually not our ways. Have you ever sat down with God and said, God, here is my plan and I'd like for you to bless it? And God says, I don't think so. <laughs> Here's my plan. And although it seems ridiculous, it's, it's going to be for the best. You see, because it, it's ridiculous to think that our city would be a place that God could literally change for his glory. It's ridiculous to think that God could save marriages and restore relationships through Connection Church. It's ridiculous to think that to believe that, that, that this church could have an influence in our city, in the Black Hills, in our state, and our nation, and even be able to touch the world. That's ridiculous to think on our own. But when God is in the picture, when he is a part of the formula, when it is, it is his vision, it is his calling, it is his desire to make that happen, here's what I want you to know. It's not ridiculous. It's his perfect plan. You see, because I've read the end of this book, and at the end, God wins. So if you're picking teams, you want to be on God's team. I'm just telling you. See, we can understand the heart of God because he desires not that some people would be saved. He desires that the whole world would be saved. He loves this whole city. He loves you. He loves me. He loves the people who aren't going to show up to church today. He loves the people who seem to be spitting into the face of God. He loves them, and he wants them to be saved just like he wants you to know him. See, we've experienced the hope of Jesus, and we know that God is the answer. Here's what I'm asking for you, is to believe that God's grace is enough for not only you, but for your neighbor, and for your friend, and for your husband, for your wife, and for your family, and for the college that's in this town, and for the schools that are, and the students that are, that are in school, and, and for your neighborhood, and, and it goes on and on in believing that there is a God, and His grace is enough. You see, God is an awesome God, and He wants to use the hundred plus people that are going to Connection Church to make an impact on the Black Hills for the Lord Jesus Christ. And my question for you is, will you believe with me Will you join with me in being willing to say, you know what, God, this seems a little bit ridiculous to think that a small group of people can make a big impact. But you see, the part of the equation that we need to remember is that when God's involved, he doesn't step onto the field without victory in mind. And that's what brings me peace. That's what, that what's, that's what brings good morale to the team is knowing that if God is involved, then he is going to do a miracle in our midst. I can't tell you how many people keep coming and saying, Pastor, I needed Connection Church. 
I needed a place that would give me grace. I needed a place that didn't try to soften the word of God, but stood strong in, in what it said and, and, and teaching that. and Not only teaching God's word, but loving a city, loving people who need grace. I needed that. Can I tell you, we're not done. God is not done. And he wants to use this group of people to see a miracle. My prayer is that God begins a revival right here. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen in other churches across this city. I pray for them. I pray that God uses every church in this city that preaches the gospel for his glory. But I know that Connection Church, that God has given us a vision and a purpose. And if we don't complete it, then we're going to be disobedient. And so my goal in my personal life is to go down fighting, man, until the end, that we take the grace and the glory of God to a city that needs it. Because my, my, my prayer is that God begins a revival in your heart and in mine, and it spills out in the world for all to see. You see, because the gospel, it's true. The good news of Jesus, it's true. Salvation for all who would come to the cross, it's true. Forgiveness of all the sins that you've ever committed, it's true. Mercy for those who do not deserve mercy, it's true. And if we can depend on anything, it's not that the economy will be strong, it's not that the political system might change and we have a different way of, of serving in America. Listen, our hope cannot be in any of that. Our hope has to be in Jesus and Him alone. And if you've never put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to challenge you today, right now, to give your heart and your life to Jesus. Would you pray with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, Scripture says that it's not those who deserve it who get to go to heaven. It, the Scripture says that all who will come to the cross, confess their sins, and give their life to Jesus, that those are the ones that can have salvation. And you know what that means? Everybody. So if you've never asked Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, right now where you are, you can pray this prayer with me and mean it. You have to mean it in your heart. It's not just magic words, but it's a conversation that you have heart to heart with God. And it says, Lord Jesus, would you pray with me? If you, if you need to ask Jesus into your heart, silently where you are, you can pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for never giving up on me and never walking away. Thank you that your grace never runs out. And Father, I pray today that you will forgive me of all of my sins. I confess everything I've ever done and ask that you would cleanse me and make me clean. I give you my heart. I ask you to come in, be my Lord and my Savior. Change me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you were buried, and on the third day, you rose again. God, I pray that you would make me into the man or the woman or the teenager or the child that I need to be for your glory. Now, when you pray that prayer and you believe it, Jesus says he will forgive you, he will save you, and his grace will flow over your life. I know that in my life when I prayed that prayer, it was as if a load of bricks was lifted off of my shoulders. And there was joy 
peace. If that's you today and you prayed that prayer, we want to walk with you as a church. In a moment, we're going to have our offering time. And on the card that's in your seat, there's a place for you to check. I'd like more information about becoming a Christian. If you prayed that prayer today, I'm going to challenge you to be bold enough to tell somebody about what God has done in your life. I want to pray for us and then we'll end. Lord Jesus, man, God, I I thank you for men like Gideon, who even though they... He had questions. He he had fears. He had uncertain times in his life. God, he never backed off. And God, you used him in a mighty way. So Father, would you help us to have courage to complete the calling that you have called us to do at Connection Church, to take the love of Jesus to the streets of Spearfish and Belfouche and Deadwood and Lead and the Black Hills and, and this whole region. God, would you give us that vision Would you give us that passion? God, would you give us a boldness to pray for our neighbors, to pray for our friends, to pray for our family? God, that the Jesus that we have experienced as followers of Christ, that we would not hold inside. God, that we would be bold and that we would love you and we would serve you with all of our heart. God, thank you for Connection Church. God, I'm just so grateful to be a part of what you're doing here and this church family, and God, is so wonderful to have a place of safety that people can come. No, no matter where they've been or what they've done, God, perfect people aren't allowed here because we're not perfect, and we all need your grace and your love. God, would you continue to create a place where your name is lifted high, where the gospel is spoken regularly, and God, where grace heals the wounds of the world. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.